0: listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on this four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of And after today's reading, head over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and there you can share your own thoughts and reflections with others who are listening and following along. Today is day 67, and we are reading from Book 2, Chapter 12, paragraphs 583 to 589. Chapter 12 The Virtue of Temperance as Practiced by the Most Holy Mary. 583. In regard to good and evil, man possesses two tendencies, namely that of striving after the good and of repelling the evil. The latter is regulated by fortitude, which, as already demonstrated, serves to strengthen the will against the immoderate exercise of the irascible faculties, and inspires it with bold daring, rather to suffer all possible afflictions of the senses, than to desist from the attainment of the good. The other tendency, founded on the concupiscible faculties, is regulated by temperance, and this is the last and the least of the cardinal virtues. For the good which it procures is not so universal as that attained by the practice of other virtues, since temperance directly is concerned only with the particular advantage of its possessor. The doctors and teachers treat of temperance in another aspect, namely in so far as it can regulate the action of all the natural appetites of man. In this respect, temperance is a general and universal virtue, which comprises, within its scope, the proper exercise of all the virtues according to reason. We do not, at present, speak of this general virtue of temperance, but only of that temperance which serves to regulate the concupiscence of touch and other pleasurable concupiscences, indirectly related to the touch, but not presenting such powerful attractions as the concupiscence of the flesh. 584. In this regard temperance holds the last place among the virtues, its aim being less noble than that of others. Yet in other regards it may be said to have a greater excellence, namely in as far as it preserves man from viler and more contemptible transgressions, namely from the immoderate indulgence of those pleasures which are common to men and the irrational brutes. Referring to this, David says that man has become like unto the beast, Psalm forty eight, thirteen, twenty one, allowing himself to be carried away by the pleasure of the senses. Intemperance is rightly called a puerile vice, for just as a child is not guided by reason, but by the spur of fancy, and does not restrain itself except through fear of chastisement, so also concupiscence, cannot otherwise be checked in the indulgence of its desires. From this dishonor and vileness man is freed by the virtue of temperance, which teaches him to govern himself not by his desires, but by reason. Therefore a certain decorous honorableness and comeliness distinguish this virtue, by which the reason is enabled to preserve its rule." although the indomitable passions are hardly ever inclined to listen or yield to it willingly. On the other hand, the subjection of man to beastly pleasures is a great dishonor, degrading him to the position of an irrational animal or of an unreasoning child. 5.85. Temperance includes the two virtues of abstinence and sobriety, the former being opposed to gluttony and the latter to drunkenness. Abstinence also includes fasting. These virtues take the first place in treating of temperance, for nourishment being necessary for the preservation of life is among the principal objects coveted by the appetites. After these follow others, which regulate the use of the faculties for reproduction of the species, such as chastity and susceptibility to shame. With their concomitant virginity and continence, opposed to the vices of lust and incontinence in their species. Besides these virtues, which are the principal ones belonging to temperance, there are others that regulate the appetite and less important desires. Those that regulate the sensations of smell, hearing, and sight may be classed under those referring to the proper use of the sense of touch. But there are still other kinds of virtue which resemble some of the above, though their object is entirely different, such as clemency and meekness which are set to govern anger and wrath in the administration of punishment, lest they turn into bestial and inhuman cruelty. Then there is modesty, which includes four virtues. The first one is humility, which keeps down pride, lest man seek in a disorderly manner his own exaltation and honor before men. The second is studiousness, by which one preserves the proper measure in seeking information, being opposed to vain curiosity." The third is moderation and frugality, by which one avoids superfluous expense and ostentation in regard to clothing and exterior living. The fourth is the restraint of overindulgence in pleasurable entertainment, such as playing, bodily exercise, dancing, jesting, and the like. Although this virtue seems to have no special name, it is of the greatest importance— It goes under the generic name of modesty or temperance. 5.86 It always seems to me when I describe the excellence of these and other virtues when applied to the corresponding virtues of the Queen of Heaven that the terms at my disposal and commonly used in order to describe these virtues in other creatures fall far below the truth. The graces and gifts of the Most Holy Mary were in closer correspondence with those of the divine perfections then all the virtues and the holiness of the saints are with those of the sovereign queen of virtues. Thence it no doubt happens that whatever we can say of her virtues by using the terms fit for describing the virtues of the saints seems to fall short of the truth. For the latter, as great as they may have been, existed in persons disordered and subject to imperfections and the distempers of sin. When, therefore, Ecclesiasticus says that we can have no true conception of the excellence of the continent man, what shall we say of the virtue of temperance and the mistress of all virtues? And what of the beauty of the soul which contained the perfection of all virtues? All the domestics of the strong woman were doubly clothed, Proverbs thirty-one twenty-one, because all her faculties were clothed in two vestments of perfections of incomparable beauty and strength. The one, that of original justice, which subjected all the appetites to reason and grace. The other, that of the infused habits, which supplied new beauty and strength for the attainment of highest perfection in her works. 587. All the saints that have signalized themselves in the beauty of temperance obtain the full conquest over the indomitable concupiscences by subjecting them in such a manner to the rule of reason as not to allow their desires to reach out after anything that might afterwards occasion them sorrow for having desired it. They advanced so far that they denied themselves all indulgence in those concupiscences which could be withdrawn without destroying human nature. Nevertheless, in all these exercises of the virtue of temperance, they felt a certain opposition within themselves which retarded the perfect assent of the will, or at least a certain resistance preventing them from the reaching the plenitude of perfection in their actions. They complained with the Apostle of the unhappy burden of this body of sin, Romans 7.24. In most holy Mary no such dissonance could be traced, for without a murmur of the appetites and without a shadow of repugnance of the dictates of her will, all her powers acted in such harmony and concert, that like armies marching in well-ordered squadrons, Canticle 6-3, they moved on in heavenly unison. As she had no rebellious passions to overcome, she exercised such great temperance in all her actions that not even the suggestion of disorder ever entered her mind. On the contrary, her activity so closely imitated the divine operations that they seemed originated and drawn directly from the supreme source, turning toward it the only rule and ultimate end of all her perfections. 5.88. The abstinence and sobriety of Most Holy Mary was the admiration of the angels, for though being the queen of all creation and experiencing the natural affections of hunger and thirst, she never sought after the delicacies that would have suited her high estate, nor ever indulged in nourishment merely for the sake of pleasures of taste but only in order to supply her natural wants. Even these she satisfied with such moderation as never to exceed or ever being capable of exceeding the exact measure necessary to preserve the radical humors of life. Moreover, she partook of the nourishment in such a way as to allow room for hunger and thirst, and so as to make allowance for the effects of grace on the natural process of bodily nourishment. She never experienced the changes of corruption arising from superfluous eating or drinking, nor did her needs in this regard grow greater on one day than on others, nor was she more subject to these changes on account of the want of food. For if at any time she detracted from the food necessary to keep up the natural warmth, she was supplemented in her activity by divine grace, in which the creature lives, not in bread alone, Matthew four, 4. The Lord could have sustained her, without food or drink. But he did not do it, for it was not right that she should lose the merit of virtuously using these things, thus affording us the benefit of her example and merits. As to the kind of food and the time in which she partook of it, we'll mention these circumstances in different parts of this history. Of her own choice, she never ate meat, nor did she ever eat more than once a day, except when she lived with her husband Joseph or when she accompanied her Most Holy Son in his travels. For in such circumstances, or in order to conform herself to others, she imitated the mode of living followed by the Lord, although at all times she was wonderful in her temperance. 5.89 Of the virginal purity and modesty of this virgin of virgins, not even the seraphim could speak worthily. For in this virtue, though to them it is co-natural, they were inferior to their queen and mistress. By the privilege and power of the Most High, she was more free from contrary vice than the angels themselves, who by their very nature cannot be touched by impurity. Mortals will never in this life be able to form a proper idea of this virtue, as it existed in the Queen of Heaven. For we are much weighed down by the earthliness, and the pure and crystalline light of chastity is much obscured in our souls. Our great Queen possessed this virtue in such a degree that she might justly have preferred it, even to the dignity of being the mother of God, if this dignity had not been the very source of her great purity. Measuring this virginal purity of Mary by the esteem in which she held it, and by the dignity to which it raised her, we can partly estimate how great was the virtue in her virginal body and soul. She resolved upon this purity from the moment of her immaculate conception. She vowed it at her nativity and she guarded it in such a manner that she never offended against it, or against the utmost modesty in any of her actions or movements, nor in any attitude of her body or soul. Accordingly, she never spoke to any man except at the command of God, nor did she ever look into the face of a man, and not even in the face of a woman, and this not on account of any danger to her, but for the sake of gaining merit and for our example." and in order to exercise the superabundance of her heavenly prudence, wisdom, and charity. This concludes our reading today for day 67. Today we've been reading from book 2, chapter 12, 583 to 589. The virtue of temperance that we hear about today deals with food and drink. How much do we eat? What do we drink? And so it focuses really on the right ordering of those things in our life, that we don't want to eat too much, that we don't want to drink too much, lest we have gluttony or drunkenness. And so we want to be aware then of our intake, of what it is that we're receiving every day. Now, we also heard in this reading today that Temperance also deals with the things of the flesh, such as purity and chastity. We heard a few others as well that it mentioned. I think one of the moving things for me today was to hear about the Blessed Mother's relationship to food and drink. She partook of nourishment in such a way as to allow room for hunger and thirst and so as to make allowance for the effects of grace on the natural process of bodily nourishment. And we also heard of her own choice, she never ate meat, nor did she eat more than once a day, except when she lived with her husband Joseph, or when she accompanied her most holy son in his travels. For in such circumstances, in order to conform herself to others, she imitated the mode of living, followed by the Lord, although at times... She was wonderful in her temperance. So we have here then a description of Mary and what she ate and her relationship to food and such. I think it's interesting that we read here that maybe Mary was a vegetarian, that she was a vegan, that she never ate meat, nor did she eat more than once a day, except when she lived with her husband, Joseph. So it would seem to suggest that when she lived with her husband, Joseph, that maybe they partook of meat at times, or maybe she ate more than once a day. I think for us, as we reflect upon our own relationship to food, well, we can eat smaller portions. So if I go to a restaurant and I have the option of a king prime rib or a queen prime rib, well, maybe I choose the queen prime rib realizing that I don't need a king, to be honest, in terms of the amount of ounces in that steak. And so I choose the lesser option, which is a temperate choice. It is a choice in which I am making conscious of the fact that I don't want to overeat. We live in a very conscious world in regard to food and A lot of us count calories maybe, or we watch what we eat. Well, it looks like the Blessed Mother did that, so we're in good company. So maybe as you evaluate your diet, ask Mary, well, pray for me that I might make the right choice. Inspire me in the choices that I make. If you're a mother, think of Mary feeding the family. Ask Mary to help you in that role as you carry it out as a mom. I think the other important thing here, too, that we also heard is that Mary conformed herself to others, imitating the mode of living followed by the Lord. So I think sometimes what might happen in our life is that we make a decision. I'm not going to eat such and such a thing. Well, then you go over to your neighbor's house and your neighbor has such and such food And now you have the choice of saying, I don't eat that. Or you could eat it knowing that, well, I am honoring my neighbor in this situation. think another thing when it comes to food we got to look at is our wastefulness. Do I waste food? Think about all the hungry people throughout the world. Maybe something to do one day a week, maybe on Friday, in which we remember Christ's death. Abstain from a meal. Don't eat a meal. And as you hunger, realize that I'm hungering with others throughout the world in this moment. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the mystical city of God. I'm grateful that you joined me today, and I hope that you'll join me again tomorrow. May God bless you and Mary pray for you.